Club. Today we are discussing Outlander by Diana Gabaldon. Our average rating for Outlander on Goodreads is 4.26. And our Goodreads synopsis says, The year is 1945. Claire Randall, a former combat nurse, is just back from the war and reunited with her husband on a second honeymoon when she walks through a standing stone in one of the ancient circles that dot the British Isles. Suddenly, she is a Sassanac, an outlander, in a Scotland torn by war and raiding border clans in the year of our Lord, 1743. Hurled back in time by forces she cannot understand, Claire is catapulted into the intrigues of lairds and spies that may threaten her life and shatter her heart. For here, James Fraser, a gallant young Scots warrior shows her a love so absolute that Claire becomes a woman torn between fidelity and desire and between two vastly different men and two irreconcilable lives. So girlies, we have a new segment in the podcast, which is where we read the first line of the novel that we are discussing. And this just so happens to be my favorite first line of literal all time. And it is people disappear all the time. It's a really good one to start on. And it's serendipitous that it ended up being Outlander. Yes. But I think that that is, I, and to preface this, Robin is doing a solo episode. I have read part of Outlander. I DNF'd, I guess you could call it, but I'm interested in seeing if this conversation inspires me to pick it back up. So I love this first line also because it's it puts a lot of intrigue. You're like, what? Where are they going? Is this fantasy? Yeah, my goal of this solo episode is for anyone listening that maybe hasn't read this book to want to pick this book up because how passionate I am about it. So I'm hoping that by the end of this, she'll be like, well, dang, maybe I do have to keep reading it. I think I was like 130 pages in and I was laughing when I texted you when I picked my copy of this out of my cabinet. I was like, maybe I should just try this again because I literally have a brain cell now. And I think my problem was I was trying to read this one summer by the pool and no one would leave me alone. Everyone kept talking to me and I just, I couldn't get into the world and I had no idea what was happening because no one knew how to just leave me be. So Outlander is a very special and deeply personal book to me. And what's crazy is reading the one star reviews I didn't really have a hard time choosing one because they're all primarily the same. And I can agree with what a lot of them say. So I want to preface this conversation by saying that there will be topics of sexual violence. And I'm not going to go into detail with anything, but just be wary listening because the one-star reviews are pretty much all about the sexual nature of these stories. So I just want to get that out there. But other than that... This is a book that I will take no slander on. Thank you very much. I love, love Outlander. She's just showing her cards before she even gets into her one star. I know. So I'm going to read my one star review that I chose. This is from a reviewer named Books on Stereo. And this is, it's about a paragraph long. This is the shortest one that I could find that kind of synopsized what everyone was saying. But this is the general consensus of these one stars. It says, some of us are patient readers. We allow the story to unfold, chug along, however long it takes. 
Gabaldon requires this of readers in spades with little payoff in the end. Outlander is an overwrought, drawn-out story that could have simply used a good edit. The goal of the plot is to coerce the reader into caring about Jamie and Claire. The crux of the entire series seemingly rests on their relationship. Offsetting this, Gabaldon infuses a tad bit too much of historical context into the narrative, forcing the reader to trudge through the endless information dumps to get to the good stuff. Outlander is a book that requires a heavy investment from the readers, and shouldn't that investment be worth it in the end? Okay, I will jump in and say that I guess I I kind of agree on the heavy investment side because like I said, it took me a minute. I I didn't even get into it. Like I I couldn't get into it when I first picked it up. So I'm really interested in like, why didn't they think it was worth it in the end? So a kind of a backstory on how I found Outlander. I am a big, huge Game of Thrones fan. And people listening to this are going to be like, what? What do they have to do with each other? Someone was like, and this is probably 12 years ago. If you love Game of Thrones, you're going to love Outlander. I was very young when I bought my first copy of Outlander. I walked to the bookstore and bought it because someone said that I would like it. I can't even remember who it was. And what's crazy is it sat on my shelf unread for about eight or nine years. And the name Jamie Fraser in the back of the book is literally what deterred me from reading the novel. I thought that name, the name gave me the ick. Like I was like... I don't want to read that. <laughs> I swear. Like, that's the true thought behind it. And it's so crazy because I opened the book in that first line. I was like, oh, what is this? And Outlander might be the first book I've ever read that had that fantastical element with historical fiction. There's a little bit of sci-fi and then it's all romance. And as someone who loves romanticy, this book was just straight up my alley, but I can understand why people would hate it due to the historical nature of it. But as someone like me who loves to like Google World War II and like the history of things and blah, 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 this was like icing on the cake for me as a reader. I loved this book. When you read in the review and they said that there was too much history, I was like, <laughs> What yeah. Do you, what do you mean by that? I don't. Yeah. So something really interesting about Outlander is the author has a PhD in like multiple things. Like she's a smart woman and almost, I would say like 95% of what she's writing historically is accurate to the point where when COVID happened and we were locked down and I was doing like ancestry for my family, half of the names that were coming up in my Scottish, like family records were like literal names in this book. And I was, I didn't even like realize how in depth it went. And for readers, Claire is a doctor and there are definitely some boring chapters where she's like going through surgery. It is wild to be on a ride reading a romance novel where she's like in depth describing like appendix surgery. But then like, if you look up appendix surgery and like how it's performed, it's to the T. And it's really interesting because as a reader, I don't care about medical stuff, but I can imagine someone with a brain cell that's a doctor reading this book is like, oh my God, there I am in this book. I know what that means. I know what a scalpel is. I know what this is. It's so, it's just so crazy to me how she, I think, can connect to anybody in the series. Whenever you've tried to sell me on this book, you've mentioned how well she does the mundane. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'm interested in your thoughts on that. So one, one particular scene that always, I always think of this, this is maybe like in the seventh book, there's nine total books. There'll be 10 altogether. She has been writing these since the nineties. Like the first book was, was written in 1993, which is crazy. So I think it's like the seventh or eighth book. Two of the characters are like in a river washing up. And one of the babies that 
these characters have had needs like a diaper change and it's fluff in the book of these characters like changing a diaper and like having cute little banter of being like married for 30 years and I can totally see why people would hate that but for me I love fluff in a book and I just loved how mundane it was like they're they're out by the river on a sunny day in 17 the 1700s and it's a really cool glimpse of what life might have been like for people that lived back then and to me that's just it just piques my interest every time it's giving like historical fiction but just that day-to-day life that people are having where not everything is stressful and high stakes but it's done in a way that you enjoy, I guess. Kind of switching from the historical side of the book, a lot of people complained, so odd too, complained about the love triangle of this book. And the love triangle, for those that haven't read this, is Claire is married to a World War II soldier. They go on the honeymoon and she's transported back through time. And she finds another soldier that in the book, she, right off the bat, they're enemies. She's like, I've got to get back to my real life. I've got to get back to my town. And she's like, just trying to get back to her husband. And then over time, they fall in love. And so many people (laughs) were pissed that Claire essentially like leaves her husband. But if you've actually read the book, which is so many people DNF'd this and it drives me crazy because the reviews are like, like you cannot review this book without reading it because she still to the very bitter end tries to get back to her husband. She never like actually leaves him. And even though she's fallen in love, that's another thing. If you put yourself in Claire's shoes, if you go back in time and you fall through time and there's like this hot, beautiful man that's like all these things to you, do you really think you're ever getting back to your real world? You have to survive. You can't just hope that it works out. You have to just do what you have to do. And her doing what she had to do is like, I'm staying in this world and I'm going to fall in love and make a new life. So she had to choose that. And it was a hard decision for her. So I think it's unfair to say that you'd hate this book because of the love triangle. There really wasn't a love triangle. Another thing that reviewers hated about the romance in Outlander, which is just so crazy to me because Jamie and Claire are my number one. I don't think anybody, any book character besides Feyre and Resand, will ever come close to the way that these characters made me feel. And when we first meet Jamie Fraser in the first novel, he's 23 years old. And there is a scene where Jamie and Claire first get married and they do it as a business transaction. It's basically like, I'll protect you if you do this for me and vice versa. So they're like in and in whatever. And Claire... Claire is a sassy woman. This is like a thing, something throughout this entire, all of the novels. Claire is just someone who cannot shut up ever. She's very a modern woman in that sense. And and real quick, what year is present day that they open in? 1945. Okay. They're post-World War. Yeah. So she's modern in the sense of like... Yeah. she's She's the kind of woman that would cause a ruckus in 1945. And she's causing even more of a ruckus in 1773 or whatever it was. Okay. No, it's a good question because modern to us is not modern to 1945. But when she's in 1743, Jamie gives her like a direction and she doesn't listen to it. And so he like takes off his belt and he like bends her over and like punishes her. And later on, she says, if you ever do that again, I literally will kill you. Later on in the books, it's like something that's like a joke. She'll be like, you hit me one time and one time was the only time you ever did it. And it's like a joke between them. People hate that because they immediately, like so many of the DNFs and so many of the one stars were like, he beat his wife and she just thinks it's funny. And I don't think that way at all. I think it's simply a historical novel and that is just simply what happened. 
the fact that Claire was able to tell her husband who like, she was not in love with, he was not in love with her. They were married traditionally for a transactional purpose. She said, if you ever do this again, I will literally kill you. And people hated that so much. I think people struggle to remove themselves from their current state. And, you know, you read that, you read that in 2024 and you're like, how dare somebody write that into a book? But you also have to take into consideration consideration that this book is what, 30 years old or more? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she's also writing in a different time period. And arguably, if you were to write that in a book that's taking place today, yeah, that would be kind of like, yikes. It's like hooked. I don't know if I like that. What does that say about me? But if you come back to earth and you're like, oh, this is historical fiction. This is what happened back then. I think that just allows your mind to just kind of open up. And it also allows you to think, oh, this is how far we've come, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That just kind of goes into the conversation, which I think is a big conversation we can have with books like Outlander of, is it okay to write these quote unquote dark things into novels because you don't want to deal with them? And I understand that people want to read books to escape, but at that point, is it not your responsibility as a reader to do research into the book you're reading. Personally, this this stuff does not bother me. So if you're someone who gets triggered easily by violence or sexual violence or assault or whatever it is, do yourself a favor and understand that maybe you should go through the Goodreads reviews. Maybe you should ask people who have read this novel. Maybe you don't want to have something ruined, but you also have to understand yourself to your core and understand that like, if you're reading something with historical backdrops, there is probably going to be some stuff in there that you don't want to read about or that's changed from the the setting we live in now. It stinks to have to do your research and to have to kind of walk on eggshells, but you do that as self-preservation. And I just read a book that had extensive trigger warnings, like trigger warnings for things that were implied off page. And while I don't personally need those, I can kind of step back after this conversation and appreciate that, that they were that they were there because yeah, some people can't read that kind of stuff. And does it make it a bad book? I think that's I think that's the big thing in question. Yeah. And something that I found so funny about these reviews was going back to the one I pulled, being that the history was too much. I mean, this is literally targeted as a historical fiction. And what's crazy is when this book was first published, publishers didn't know what to do with it because of the fact that there's time travel, so there's sci-fi. The entire foundation and world building is historical settings of, of war. So there's the history. And then the actual like prose of the book is Jamie and Claire coming together through time. And I can see how people are like, what is happening here? But I think Diana is literally a magician with how she pulled all of those thematic elements together because not once was I ever pulled out of the setting, the story, the character, whatever the page was reading. I never once was like, why are we talking about this? Why are we reading about this? I just felt like I was there. She's so good at setting the scene. And I wish I'd brought like more quotes and like examples of this, but I literally think in my mind, and I think I think it helps too. Like I watched the show after I read the book, so it's like really easy to see characters and stuff when you kind of have something to bounce back off of. But she describes things so well that before I knew anything about what I was getting into, I was page turning. Why are we disappearing all the time? What's happening? 
the stakes were immediately high. In the beginning of the book, Claire is brushing her hair and her husband is like downstairs doing his thing with his friends. She's brushing her hair and she sees a man standing at the the foot of a fountain in her in her window. And you're immediately like, who is that man? And then you spend the rest of the nine novels still thinking about that man. How in the hell do you have over 30 years of of publications going on? And as a reader, I'm still drawn into who that person was because she never tells you, but it's never irrelevant. And I think that's, I don't know if anyone's ever been able to do that. In, in the way that I think she has. So I want to jump back to something you said a little bit earlier, where you mentioned that it is historical fiction, it's romance, and it's sci-fi. And I remember, again, when you were selling me this book, <laughs> I'm being like, girl, it's what? Like sci-fi? You can't, you can't be serious. And again, I only read partway through the first book, but now I'm really intrigued. And I, it's not sci-fi in the beginning is not as crazy as what I was making it out to be in my head, but yeah, I don't, I don't know of any other book that's quite like that where it's real world, but it's not. I mean, the only sci-fi element about it is, is the time travel, the time travel. Okay. And it's obviously like a big element of the story. You know, Claire wouldn't be where she is without the time travel, but it's, again, it's one of those things where eight books later when the time travel is relevant in this certain plot, the story, it's never something you're confused about. And it's never something that feels out of place. And, you know, in other books, you might get more of an explanation about it. But because of the fact that in this book, it's just fact, she just time travels through these stones. It's never an element of like, why is this in here? It's just a thing that happened. Yeah. We were talking about Dark Shores and how they travel through the worlds with the Zemphir stem. And there's like an explanation for it. It just is. And I thought that was really interesting in Dark Shores how it she says it, it just is. In this book, The Time of the Stones, it just is. But it's never explicitly said. But as a reader, you just accept it as fact. Because she's so good at weaving the words and where you are that you never are like you're just never taken out of the story. You're just you're just there. There are stories where there are plot holes. That could be considered a plot hole, sure. But when you're able to make your readers accept things as fact without question, that's powerful. And that kind of gave me like, it gave me the chills a little bit because I'm like, that is such a powerful tool as an author to have in your back pocket. I think you think that in the Hunger Games, you know, one of the big plot holes that people hate is just like the existence of tracker jackers. And it's like, they're just there as like a plot device. And you're like, you like them as the reader and you think that they're really intriguing, but where the hell did they come from? And sometimes you're just like, if they had just mentioned it briefly earlier in the story, then maybe it would be fine. But without having to do that, it's just crazy. Think about this. You just said like it's very powerful as a writer. Think about how powerful as a writer it is that these books started being published in the 90s and they are still being published as a as a ongoing storyline and they are still like number one best-selling books. And think about book talk and the fast fashion of the book world essentially at this moment and think about the trust that she has in her readers as an author to know that someone who read a book in the 90s is going to pick this back up in 2024 and continue the story. That is literally life's purpose, life's work. Yeah, it is crazy to me. And there's actually 
in the Outlander world, there is novellas. There's other character books. There's there's about to be a show with the main character's parents because they're such a big part of these books in like hindsight that they're just like making a one-off show about the characters that we might not ever read. I actually think she's going to write a book, like a prequel to uh, these characters. And I'm like, imagine, I am a fan of this author to the point where like, I will never run out of material to to dive into with her. And what's so crazy too is you know me, like I will read a book series like it's nothing. I'm like, oh, on the fifth one today. This book series took me over a year to complete. I'm literally in the back of my mind as you're talking, I'm looking at the books behind you and that gray one is fat. How many pages is, is that novel? This is A Breath of Snow and Ashes. I believe this would be the fourth one or fifth one. I mean, and this is like tiny print. Like this is how the chapters start. It's not even like new pages. Like they're- They just continue. It's like a paragraph break. Oh my God. Is it 1,200? 1,400. 1,437 pages. When I said that that book looked fat behind you, I was expecting maybe 900. I- don't think that I could read that while I'm worried about my Goodreads book number count because that would, it would, if I was reading actively, that would probably take me a month. I could probably do it in two weeks if I really dug in. To be fair, I would say probably 50% of these novels I split between Audible and actually reading, which I don't want to discredit myself and say that I would have a hard time physically reading these through and through page to page. But, and I couldn't even tell you which books I did half and half or all the way or whatever, but I will say that it was so helpful to be busy and put my headphones in and listen to a couple chapters. And like, I'm, I end, when I read, I end on a chapter. So let's say I, on Audible ended on chapter 30, I would know to pick up chapter 30 in the book. And then I just fast forward if I went to Audible. So if, if a reader is listening to this and is like, holy shit, 1400 pages, just listen to it on Audible. And and Davina Porter is the name of the person who narrates these books. She is fantastic. And she also does like voices and it's not icky. And you just immediately know who's speaking. She's amazing. Like she's amazing. And there's a lot of Gallic in these books. Literally language is also a part of, <laughs> that's another thing, another part of this book. Traditionally, she has nicknames, sayings, phrases, all in Scottish Gallic. And if you're listening to it on Audible the person that's doing the book does not mess it up at all. I am going to put myself on blast. I was an audiobook hater up until probably Spotify put audiobooks on their platform. I used to think that that didn't count as reading a book. And while it is true that you can do other things while listening or reading a book, I still think your brain is very engaged and you have to think back to things. So I was wrong. <laughs> and I I think I think that audiobooks are great for busy people and not busy people because sometimes it's music is just a little boring and you want to have somebody tell you stories in your head. So I like to scream at my TV when I'm watching a show or a movie. And when I'm reading, I like to leap off my couch and scream at the book, like, no way, no way, no way. So I would say when, when I actually have like memories of me listening to this, being like, no shit to the characters, like I'm talking to them. And it was just like a really, really fun reading experience. And I just, I mean, I, I fell in love 
with this book. There is not one element of this book series that I despise. It touches on everything I love. So I have one kind of final question before we wrap up, jump into songs. What are your thoughts on the television adaptation? Does it do it justice? The first like maybe three three seasons. The first season, they did it so right that as a fan, you couldn't ask for anything better. Same with uh, season two, which arguably is my least favorite of the entire series because it's literally in France. And you know me, I hate a French setting. I don't know why. I can't. I can't stand it. Just going back to, to Nightingale, I was like, please get me out of France. I don't know why. Like, I'm thinking it's like some kind of like genetic memory of my <laughs> Scottish ancestors. Literally. Okay, wait, hold up. The, there's a guy, a real life guy named Bob and John. He was the original Jacobite, got 15,000 Jacobites killed. That is my freaking eighth great uncle. He's literally in the Outlander books and he was banished to France. I'm telling you that something in my line is like, get me out of France. Okay, so, so we're going to mark Paris <laughs> off of our delusional travel list, I guess. Scotland's still at <laughs> Scotland is still up at the top. I mentioned going to Scotland today to you, weirdly enough. I think we mentioned going to Scotland. Like, I swear to God, I like it makes me emotional. If I ever make it to Scotland, I'm going to hop off that plane and literally fall to my knees because it's like my blood is home. I might have to just like send you by yourself. Just to go? <laughs> just, I will just go lay in the grass. Like, Robin, and just be up. there. <laughs> That's enough. We have to go. Jet lag is a choice. Anyways, Netflix adaption is really good. They really steered away from a lot of the great plots in the later books. And I think it's probably because in the later books, the relationships and everything is so established. The romance stops being the agony of the book uh, and the high stake of the book. It's more so now we're in wartime. And I mean, because this goes from... From Scotland, you're also in the American Revolution by the time you get to the ends of the series, which for a history girl like me, it, it's like, what war are we doing next? Come on. It's so it's so good. Um, before we get to the songs, I have two things I want to mention. Um, quotes. I have two quotes. little personal tidbit. I got married in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. So my wedding was very traditionally Scottish. I got hand fast. Part of my vows were literally a quote from Outlander. Like, this is how special this book is to me. And so I wanted to read the vow, one of the clip of the vows from Jamie and Claire, because for the haters of the romance in this, I'm sorry, but this is peak. I'm panting just thinking about this. Jamie tells Claire, You are blood of my blood and bone of my bone. I give you my body that we two might be one. I give you my spirit till our life shall be done. Please, are you kidding me? <laughs> are you kidding me? And then there is a poem that Jamie reads to Claire. And I have this tattooed to me because it's that special. And this is where we're going to end this conversation because for these romance haters, be for real. It says, Then let amorous kisses dwell on our lips begin and tell. A thousand kisses and a hundred score, a hundred and then a thousand more. Basically, an old Latin poem just saying like, there will be enough, there'll never be enough time for me to shower you with love. I will always love you. And you're going to tell me that the romance in this is awful? Get out. That's just a romance hater. You're done. And that's okay. If you hate romance, just hate romance. Move on. Mm. There's also spice in this book series, and it is not the spice that us book talk girlies are reading. It is like, light a candle, get some wine. It's great. Okay. Great. All right. Well, I'm intrigued. I think I, think I might try it again. I want to. I have a hard copy, and it deserves it deserves all the pages to be turned. 
I don't like DNFing. And I that book has been haunting me in that cabinet for a couple of years now. Maybe I'm just like you. It's going to sit on my shelf for eight years and then I'm going to finally read it and it's going to change everything. So, but Can you believe I left a book on my shelf for that long? And to tell you the truth, the only reason why I picked it up is because I saw a picture of the guy that played Jamie Fraser on Netflix and I was like, oh, he's hot. I was like, I want to read this I literally book. cannot get over. And then I was like, what have I been doing? I can't get over the fact <laughs> that you didn't want to read it because the name Jamie Fraser gave you the ick. So I'm not kidding you. I was probably 19 when I bought this book. Back then... I had no, there was nothing about me that was smart. I, I'm glad that I found Outlander when I found it. Cause I think if I had read it when I was younger, I don't, I don't know that I would have hated it. I just think that I would have not been as mature enough to read it. I think that I would have not understood the thematic elements of all of the facets of the book. And I'm glad that I found it as an adult. It changed my life, like literally changed my life. And it is my favorite book series of all time ever. Says all you need to say. All right. I know this is our favorite, favorite, favorite part. And Robin has picked three songs. I don't have three songs because I have not finished this book. But now I'm so excited to hear them and further deepen my need to pick this book up. So if you're if you like to read to music like a lo-fi thing or like a soundtrack, Outlander comes equipped with a soundtrack to every season, therefore every book. And it changes based on where we're, the setting is. So you might get a little more folk in the North Carolina setting. You might get a little more bagpipes in the Scotland setting. So please do yourself a favor and listen to the soundtrack that Bear, Bear McCreary has written for Outlander. It is so beautiful. So I wanted, I wanted to do songs that would kind of go hand in hand with the soundtrack and like the setting of the world we're in. So my first song is Annie's song by John Denver. I think this entire song, I mean, this song literally to me, when I listen to this song, feels like I'm sitting in the forest and the lights like coming through the trees. Everything's just soft and beautiful and warm. And when I think of Jamie Fraser, that's what I think of. So the lyric that I chose is the the chorus of the song and it's come let me love you let me give my life to you let me drown in your laughter let me die in your arms it goes right back to his vows to Claire but that song just in general is just a love song that I think really relates to to Jamie and Claire my next song is work song by Hosier the lyric is no grape can hold my body down I'll crawl home to her and Jamie Fraser is the OG I'm gonna crawl home to my woman and nothing, nothing will stop me from saving my girl. I mean, he is the God of that trope. And so that song, I, I, I there was no other song for that. Like that song makes you feel, and I'm like, this is Jamie Fraser. And then I wanted to go a little traditional. I didn't want to choose the theme song from Outlander because it's kind of obvious. That is a traditional Scottish folk hymn. So I chose another Celtic legendary song. The version I chose though is a popular new band. I chose The Parting Glass by Boy Genius. They, there's all kinds of versions of The Parting Glass and a lot of them are like kind of fast paced and like boppy. It's, it's supposed to be like a drinking, the, drinking a beer pub song, but Ed Sheeran was the first one who ever did like a slow hymnal, very beautiful version of this song. And then Boy Genius did it. And they did harmonies and girl, I was sobbing the first time I heard this. Of course, this book is about war. So the lyric I chose was, of all the comrades that ever I had, I'm sorry for my going away. And to all the sweethearts that I ever had, they'd wish me one more day to stay. 
But since it fell into my lot that I should rise and you shall not, I'll gently rise and softly call. Good night and joy be with you all. There's not much I can say about Outlander without spoiling things. So rich and in-depth and so many things happen and it's so agonizingly beautiful and painful. And it's like tropey in like so many senses of are these characters going to end up together? Uh, You know, just so much you could think of. And I think that this is just a masterclass on how to write a, write a novel and write a series. So I was thinking when you were going through your songs about, we've talked about before, the thought of morally gray in a book that's not fantasy. And this book isn't fantasy. Like you said, it's the only sci-fi is the little bit that you get. And from what from what you've said, there seems to be some morally gr- morally gray, slow burn, and I'm really intrigued. So I'm not I can't say that they did it well because I haven't read it. But one thing I didn't mention in this novel is there's actually a villain. There's like a true not morally gray. There's a true black, sadistic morally black villain villain that you cannot root for, which makes it all the more richer when. The morally great characters that you love are fighting to the death to survive. So I feel like that's very historical too. And I like I like when you don't have any reason to root for somebody. Like we've talked about in Hooked, you kind of wanted to root for this really bad guy, but I don't know. It's a good it's a good dynamic. And I'm not going to ramble anymore about Outlander, but that's a really great way to end the story of Outlander is this is written like the characters are written and some of them don't get happy endings and some of them this this is not a novel that's I think written for entertainment for lack of a better word this really feels (laughs) like like, the things you like (laughs) yeah it, it really feels like you're reading someone's history and it's it's real life shit happens to these characters and it doesn't get better it's not a happy ending all the time. It's not magically we're saved. Sometimes things just suck. You mean sometimes people die and they don't come back immediately? <laughs> what? Sometimes people get punched in the face. Their nose breaks and they don't heal. They're not they? What do you mean? Let us know if you would read Outlander based on today's discussion, or if you have read it, share your review with us on TikTok at The Bad Books Club and Instagram at The Bad Books Club Pod. Follow us while you're there and let us know what books we should discuss next. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday when we discuss A Court of Thorns and Roses. Be good, girlies. my prized possession this is a signed copy that i have that diana actually personalized to me because she found out it was my birthday through my email and she wrote to robin slancha which in scottish gaelic means cheers and when i got this i think i fell to my knees if my house was on fire i would be grabbing this